0: We Welcome had, to- Oh, sorry. There? Go ahead. Ah, I just said I'm you were sorry. so professional. So I,
1: professional <laughs> and stepping on me right out the gate. No, say it. Tell me. I didn't know you were starting. I was just saying, in terms of not being professional, my podcast partner for the Ricky has been off for several weeks during the NBA playoffs. But anyway, we had somebody filling <laughs> in who is a a regular podcaster and he filled in and he signs on and I, I hear a little echo and I'm like, Elliot, are you not wearing headphones? And he said, I never wear headphones. And I said, to record podcasts? And he works at a radio station. And I was like, but you can't, you can't even, forgetting about the other person, you can't hear yourself then? And and he said, he said, I don't, I don't. And I was like, bro, we're not doing this fucking podcast without headphones. You're getting headphones. So he got nervous (laughs) and he found headphones. So there we go. It reminds me of going to college and the
0: first time I saw somebody try to cook, cook some chicken in a skillet. And no oil in the skillet, just dropping that chicken in the skillet and going, oh my God, just not everything, not everything you would assume is intuitive to people is intuitive to people.
1: Even smart people, just they don't, they don't know what they don't know. My wife So when we were first dating, she, she never cooked anything before she started dating me. She lived at, she lived at home with her parents. She never had to cook anything. So I come home once when we're, we're not living together, but she's over a lot. So she has a key to my place. And I come home and she's in the kitchen and she's got this big smile on the face and she's like, I'm, I'm cooking dinner. I'm like, Oh, great. And I look over and there's a, a pot of water with uncooked spaghetti in it. And the heat <laughs> had obviously, in. she turned the heat on as I walked in. And I oh, said, my. I said, what do you, what are you doing over here? <laughs> And she said, she said, I'm I'm making spaghetti for you. And I was like, oh, thank you. I was like, you know, you're supposed to heat the water up before you put the pasta in.
0: Yeah. And she what's said- the op- What's the opposite of al dente?
1: Yeah. She goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, Val. <laughs> I- I live here by myself. I cook it all the time. You definitely are, but thank you. I'm sure it'll be fine. It was fine. I think if you were
0: making a risotto style, maybe if you're pouring some chicken stock over that one, you could maybe do that from the beginning without it having been a boil. But I mean, look, you you, got to walk before you can run, right? You can't, the basics. A lot of people though, they don't know. I was into cooking when I was a kid. I was an only child. It's how I fed myself. And, um, yeah, you just uh, you understand that we all get different different parts of knowledge. There are a yeah. lot of things that I don't know. Yeah, it's just a lot trying of to sous
1: vide the pasta,
0: I guess, trying to <laughs> slow cook it <laughs> real slow, <laughs> slow I mean, and low. But then again, but it's one of these things where I could imagine a YouTube food blogger tests it, and because there's a lot of myth busting out there, and yeah. it, I could completely see that it's one of those things where they go. Turns out that's fine. It comes out, we tested it, and it's actually, it's totally fine. Uh, Everybody's wrong. I saw something like that with, um, there are a few things like that before we start really getting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Chefs apparently are full of shit when it comes to the idea that you need your steak to get up to room temperature before cooking it after you take it out of the fridge. Ah. I've seen it tested again and again. I've stopped caring. It's easier to live your life and not care if you are a steak eater. But that apparently is just a big old, that's a big old myth that um, it just took until right now in the modern era to test for us to learn that Gordon Ramsay
1: is wrong. Um, Don't you think that there's like a bunch of things, I noticed this in radio, where people... Love to act like their job is a little more complicated than it is because they think oh, yeah. it provides them some sort of job security by knowing something that somebody else does not. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's I mean, happening with the chef thing.
0: I think um was it Marco Pierre White, the famous TV chef, is is big on that one. And I'm I, I think they, they also say it's the most important, the most important thing you have to do. Hmm. And this is somebody where they know a lot that's real. That's what's so interesting about it. They know so much that's actually real. And if you knew everything they knew, you would be an incredible chef. But the thing they're about to tell you that they think is so important is completely untrue
1: and made up. (laughs) Maybe that's on purpose. Maybe they're just trying to fuck with everybody. Maybe chefs are like, don't tell them it's the temperature you cook it at or the seasoning tell them it's that it's already got to be warm before you cook it (laughs) fucking idiots maybe it's a maybe that's what it is maybe they're just all in it together
0: the other one I think uh, and look don't don't quote me on this but I think you can just throw in kind of pasta casserole situation without boiling it and it will come out fine and great uh, versus needing to boil it beforehand that that one I'm a little more iffy on I haven't tested that one myself
1: I haven't tried it. Maybe that's uh that's the next career. Maybe once the uh once you once you've seen through the Substack thing, maybe you're just going to be a Ooh. TikTok guy who uh. who busts food myths and <laughs> take the chef the whole chef uh the whole chef industry down with all of their lies. Oh god, yeah, with a lot of
0: post-it notes and I don't know what the aesthetics are on TikTok. I have no mm-hmm. idea. I can't I can't write that briefly, but look, we'll do the whole thing. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Welcome
0: to the House of Strauss. I'm Ethan Strauss. Uh, we are joined. Why? why do I say why is it like I'm already screwed up I'm nervous spike this is spike asking on the other line I am nervous because the whole conceit of this episode right here mm-hmm. is that spike beyond being co-host of the rights of ricky sanchez the fantastic podcast on the 76ers uh is a big muckety muck what's your official title at the most storied uh radio station in maybe america what's your what's your uh, am, what's your I whole thing? vice
1: president of programming for wfan and cbs sports radio
0: there you go and beyond that I just think you have good taste. I've heard you before discuss what works and what doesn't work in radio, and I listened. And we talked a little bit about it last time you were on, but the whole conceit of this podcast is I want to get better, man. I want to get better. I like doing the pods. A lot of my subscribers really enjoy the pods, but I am not confident Spike, I—I I, not with writing. With writing, I understand what works and I understand what doesn't. And I get when I write an article, I go, okay, even if it's its one of these things where even if it doesn't hit the way I would want it to hit, I have a firm sense of my own taste. Can I ask you a question about that,
1: actually? Can I ask you a question about your Let's writing? Do Let's do it. S- S- so my first after I got out of music radio, my first job like in sports or whatever was that I ran a CBS dot com sports section for WIP at the time it was WIP's um, sports section. So, I, yeah. you know, I was like an aggregator, wrote stories based on things that happened on the radio station, that sort of stuff. But when I would write my columns, there was no editor. It was just me. I was the editor. So mm-hmm. I used to pay this other guy. To edit my stuff and send it back to me, so because I had trouble editing myself and I'm not a natural writer, I write in the same tone that I talk. But I'm not, I don't write like an idiot, but I'm not a real writer like you. So, do you miss not having an editor, or does somebody edit what you write?
0: Uh, somebody edits what I write. It's okay. uh, it's actually my first boss at ESPN, Royce Webb edits what uh-huh. I write,
1: and I didn't know that. Okay,
0: and I think it's it's valuable to have a smart person who's another set of eyes who you trust. And they can make things that you sort of suspect a little bit more salient to you um, beyond having their own ideas. And he often knows when I maybe have gone a little too far, or I should substantiate what I'm actually saying. And so he has been um, very, he's been quite valuable, but it is funny sometimes because I'll occasionally get that kind of criticism from people that I went to Substack and obviously I need an editor. And I think to myself, I, I have an editor. So you, if you don't like the final product, you don't like the final product. But there is indeed uh, an editing process. And I think that if I didn't have it, I'm not sure what would have happened. I just think it would be worse. I, I, well, I don't know exactly what went down, but probably not great.
1: The It's pretty self-aware of you to do that. With your writing, but then also to actively because you never asked for my feedback on the podcast. But for because you have a podcast that I listen to and I have a direct line to you and I want it to <laughs> be good, every once in a while I'll be like, hey, you should do this, you should do this. But you do seem to have a hunger for for that sort of critique. And I wonder if it is due to your writing background where you're used to getting that, because so many people start podcasting and and there's no structure in place for, even mm. when they podcast for bigger companies, there's not much of a structure in place for somebody to say, hey, if you if you just do this this much differently, just a little bit differently, or do it this way instead of that way, then it would be better. And podcasters almost have to sort of learn it on their own, almost learn to write mm. without an editor, which seems so much harder to me without getting that feedback. Because if you have a bad habit... It will only get worse if it's comfortable to you. You know what I mean? Mm. It's interesting yeah. that you want that feedback because most people don't. Well,
0: it's funny too, because I noticed that a lot of people were too much the other way. I've had friends over the years where they were going to start their podcast and they talked about, I'm going to start my podcast and they got their intro song down and they got their concept down. And then a few years passed and no podcast ever happened because yeah. I do think you need to do a bit of learn by doing. And explore explore the space, and I think that's true of podcasting to a degree where you should start off and just kind of you know winging it sometimes. But you know, I've been doing this for years now, and I feel like I've been doing it for years now. But I don't necessarily feel confident in what I'm doing at that point. That's when I look around and i I want to ask for help. I want to ask somebody who who might know and. I think the origins of this are it's that you did the uh, business breakdown podcast um, Mm -hmm. with, is it Matt Russell? He is a strange, he has a strange. um, Spelled last name. Yeah. 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 It's not Russell the way I would intuitively think, but he was a great interview uh, interviewer and it was an excellent episode. It's just the observations that you made there. And subsequently when talking about, different podcasts and radio shows, they make sense to me. And so I go, okay, well, why wouldn't I open myself up to this? And beyond that, with what we're doing right now, I feel there are some people who – are curious about this themselves. After you appeared on my podcast and gave just a suggestion or two of what I should do, I've seen commenters bring you up and say, Oh, you should have, you know, you should have more of these guys on, or you should have more Waz on, because Spike said having more regulars on would be a good idea. So hey, maybe this isn't just a self-indulgent venture. Perhaps some of the listeners
1: enjoy it as well. It's it's interesting too, because some of the I've almost completely stopped listening to sports podcasts, but some of the podcasts I enjoy, as as I've shared with you, there's obviously no one telling them what to do. So I I think there is, I agree with you in terms of reps. I think reps are, they're the hardest thing to get, right? I mean, that's even in, Hinky used to say that with, uh, when he was doing his, uh, the process, like that whole little project, is that he never wanted to waste roster spots on veterans, he always wanted to get these, these young guys, uh, you know, NBA court time, because that's the most valuable thing. And the hardest thing to get is like reps. And, um, I don't think you don't want to overwhelm yourself with feedback, right? Like, you, yeah. You need you need just hours talking into the microphone, figuring out who you are, figuring out what you like, doing all of those things. But just just like a little tiny course correct here and there, and a little yeah. tiny tip here and there, almost like a hitter, you know, a ba- like in baseball yeah. when the the hitting coach would just come over and just go, "Hey, drop your elbow like five degrees when you do this," and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it fixes everything. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Well, I think I also. I also came to you because, frankly, I don't even know. This is something you can advise me on, Spike. Should Mm -hmm. I reveal my own insecurities about what I'm doing, or is that going to crush my ability to deceive the audience into thinking it's good? Because part of the issue, the hurdle in front of me is that I don't think I'm a natural point guard. I think I'm a natural uh, take giver. Um, I don't think I'm a natural interviewer. And so – I have to be a natural interviewer for the podcast to work. And I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to read people's books and I'm trying to have them on and try to be more open in that way. But it's not natural. So, part of why I'm calling in your help is because I have a sense that the reps alone aren't going to save me. I need to actually, I need to somehow forge a path into doing something that doesn't come naturally for this to work.
1: I think being honest with your audience and being vulnerable and honest with your flaws will make you seem more likable and human to them. So I think it is fine for you to open yourself up like that. I, you wouldn't want to do it all the time. You don't want to, in the no. middle of an episode, say, you know, I don't think this is going very well. And I interrupted <laughs> yeah. you in the second question. So so are you, are you? Uh, you I, I agree with you. You're not a natural point guard. I, I I've actually added a third. I always had like- two kinds of podcasts to me there was or three and now there are four the, the, for one there was the informational podcast sort of like the daily then there's mm. the serialized podcast like serial and then there's two guys talking to each other which is every yeah. sports podcast you've ever heard <laughs> but <laughs> but there's also obviously a fifth kind which is what you're doing which is what Rogan does and is what Simmons does. And it is a mix of you being you and commentary with the people that you know, and then interviews. Right. And I think that is particularly hard because you have to show you have to be They're they're very different brains. The, the firing takes off and being late, you know, being yourself and all those things. And then the interview one, um, and there's all different kinds of ways to interview people. Obviously, you know that you've interviewed people before. Um, I think, do you just want me to talk about what I hear when I hear it?
0: Yeah, or let's no? just do
1: it. Okay. Yeah, so let's just do it. I do particularly enjoy when you have the people that you know on, because mm. I end up hearing the more natural version of you, which is what I am what I enjoy consuming because I if when when you're writing, you're whether you're writing about facts or not, you're writing from your point of view of it. So I know your point of view. So when I hear you talking to Amin or Waz or Nate or the guys that you have on regularly, you're just being you. And also the other thing is that I enjoy about that is they know you, so mm-hmm. they can bust your balls a little bit about who you yeah. are, and it almost it humanizes you a little bit because, oh, this guy knows Ethan's bullshit about that or Ethan knows <laughs> yeah. that guy's bullshit about that and you're comfortable and you're all just sort of swinging and that is the, if we're to liken it to Rogan or Simmons, you know, it's obvious what those are, right? It's when Rogan has his comedian friends on or when Simmons has, uh, even whether it's Rossillo or there's no more Jacko, I guess, but uh, what he has House on or one of those, one of his buddies, super comfortable, just bullshitting. Then the interview thing. So I can hear you sometimes <laughs> not listening to them. Ah, uh, this is a problem for me. Yes. Right. So I, the, pro- the problem for me is in that it's fine. I'm, I'm not offended in any way, but yeah. the problem is, is that many, what I want from you in most of these interviews, because most of these people that you have on, most of them, I only barely know who they are, right? Yeah. So I need you to make them interesting to me. Yeah. And I need you to ask the questions and highlight the things and sort of convey to them what you find so fascinating about them and then let them do it. And I think sometimes you it's maybe you just get excited to talk about them when they're there. Yes. And make, make your vision of them the star of it rather than asking the questions to show why you like them so much. Does that make it's sense? So
0: it, it does. And I don't know. Sometimes maybe it's a lack of listening. That, that was a problem for me. I once took an improv class, <laughs> and you're supposed to listen. And when the adrenaline starts going— It's very difficult, and I'm not like nervous. I don't have adrenaline pumping, but you're on, right? You're trying to perform a conversation, and it becomes difficult. But sometimes what might sound like not listening is this other flaw, which is that you've got this plan of what you're supposed to talk about. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I repeatedly make when I look back on it is that I didn't just go with what the defense gave me. I, I tried to force it. Um, I saw a little bit of that recently where I had Sherman Alexi on and I brought up the the sonics briefly and he seemed like he wanted to talk about that. There are a few other topics where there there was a thing or two where maybe he would have wanted to take it in a direction, and I just had this robotic idea of no, let's I want it to go in this particular way in this particular direction. And that balance has just been so difficult for me of just what we're supposed to talk about versus going with the flow of what they're talking about. Because as you know, sometimes somebody will go down their own rabbit hole and you get that feeling of this is not interesting to the audience and I Mm -hmm. need to manage this and get this back on track. And that's where it gets a little bit fuzzy for me because sometimes it was interesting to the audience and I'm wrong.
1: Right. Well, and then there's a couple of different things here because now I'm thinking of people that we've had on our podcast, but I- I think it's a little bit different for the people that you have on, or or there's a couple of different things here. When we have Daryl Morey on, the Rice Ricky Sanchez, and he comes on like a few times a year. I know there are things that I want to ask him, but I also know that I have a responsibility based on what the expectation of the audience is that I got to ask him this, or I got to ask him that. But a lot of the people that you have on, and I could be, I, I could be wrong about this. Who was the Niners YouTuber guy? Yes, Grant Cohen. So you had Grant Cohen on, and I only barely know who he is. That's not, um, that's not yeah. a slight on him. I just I had heard that one story that, that you asked him about. You asked him about yeah. the the, but most of it, I'm not, I don't have any expectation at all. I guess. Yeah. So I, you should trust your gut. Maybe that that maybe you have a plan. I don't know. But well that I, I don't one, even know if it really, matters.
0: Yeah, that one I really failed in that respect because you should be almost the target audience. This guy is a a local sports team star who's making money. You you should be spellbound by a different
1: version of that somewhere else. And so oh, if I, I not liked doing it. it. Just to be clear, yeah. I, I I liked it. The, the only that was one that I gave you a note on actually. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted you to um uh Lex Friedman does like a, a one-minute intro on why he thinks the person is interesting and in who they are. Oh, uh, I'm stealing it. Yeah. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to Google who he is. I want you to yeah. tell me who he is. And what I'm trying to avoid for you, if I'm you, is what I do with Rogan, really, is I just look at who's on. And yeah. I almost, I rarely go to something that I don't know or have some sort of idea of what it is. And I skip so many of those episodes because I just, I don't have any, but if, if you can regularly just tell me like Lex does, I'll just, I'll go in and I'll I'll give him a minute and he's usually pretty interested in it. So I'll give it a try. It seemed like it was helpful for me to have you tell me why he's so interesting. He or she is so interesting.
0: Yeah. I think that I'm going to, I'm going to use that. I think that's the thing that that is something to steal. And I I don't think there's any shame in stealing that. And I'll need to use it for next week. I have an interview with uh, Sarah Heppola who I'm assuming you have not heard of, um, Mm -hmm. based on your, based on your facial expression, but there's no reason to necessarily. Uh, she's not of the sport. She's not of the sports world. Uh, she was my boss at salon.com and, uh, eventually wrote this huge best-selling book on being a blackout drunk. And I I read the book recently, and I found the whole journey of it fascinating and everything else. But there is a challenge right there. Most of my audience is not going to know who Sarah is, even if she's written a book that sold – I don't even know how many copies. It's got maybe 7,500 reviews on Amazon – and I'm gonna need to somehow set the table because yeah, they're not gonna they're they're not gonna know. I mean, I'm gonna have to present a better case for why she's interesting. I think than
1: she wrote a book about being a blackout drunk. I'm well, I'm already into like actually interested in that. <laughs> yeah. She 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 didn't write a fictional story. She wrote about herself no. being a blackout drunk.
0: She wrote about her life, and, and it uh. is a memoir, and it is from childhood. It starts with her drinking at age seven. Um, and sneaking sips of pearl light from the uh, refrigerator, uh, and it just takes you through the whole, the whole trajectory. And mm. I, I mean, it's mind blowing to me. I, maybe this is going to be part of the intro, and she won't even know that we workshopped it here. But there's something mind blowing to me about becoming a huge success and a bestseller off a book that's about how your life's a disaster. I mean, what do yeah. you feel after that? Is it pride? Is it, uh, it's just, uh, you know, if you had lived, if you had lived your life more in the way you would have wanted to, you would have a worse professional accomplishment. So these are some of the questions that are at least interesting to me, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to set the table. I'm going to have to see about it.
1: It's funny you say that. My, so my wife is obsessed with friends or well, was obsessed with friends, now the office. And when, Matthew Perry, when his book came out, Matthew Perry yep. is from Friends, right? Chandler, he was yes. Chandler. And he was just, if you've heard the story, just horrible problems with drinking and, yeah. and drugs and basically died and is now clean and wrote a book about it. And we went to see him do a a okay. talk about the book. He got interviewed on stage. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that about the book. There was something... Incredibly tragic about him like writing a book about it, and I I'm glad mm. that he did it. And I've I've actually thought more and more about drinking. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you. I stopped drinking. I I, I didn't think I had a drinking problem until I tried to give up drinking for mm. Lent, and I did. But it it made me, my other podcast, my music podcast, uh, my co-host, Mutlu, doesn't drink anymore and had a problem with drinking. And I was so fascinated to ask him questions about it after going through that mini journey of mine. Um, Mm -hmm. I I also think there's something really interesting about functional alcoholics. Oh, yeah. Me too. You know what I mean? That she could be successful and still have that part of her life is... Is crazy to me, you know, is yeah. really crazy to me. I have three drinks. I, I have trouble going to work the next day. And here are these people just fucking, you know, going to town and, and still able to be successful. Well,
0: it goes the other way, which is what's fascinating to me, where she was terrified to give it up because she thought it's the only way I can write. Mm. Um, which, I mean, if that was the only way I could write, I would be in trouble. I, I would have it. I would have a lot of a lot of issues um, trying to climb that particular hurdle. But yeah, I'm fascinated by functional alcoholism. I'm fascinated by athletes who are alcoholic because it just seems like it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. But there's a funny thing about it where some of the great defensive players seem to be hard drinkers in the NBA, and it's almost like the drinking is their way to take the edge off because they've got this burning reserve of energy that is more so than most people. So whereas I look at it and I go, man, if I drank like that, I would just be sluggish and lethargic and I wouldn't be able to do what's needed in any capacity, let alone athletic. Yeah, it just seems like they're almost trying to take the edge off of something that is more so within them and, and harness it. And that's why a Dennis Rodman could be partying all night and still
1: have more energy than everybody else. Well, and musicians, you know, we, we just got done. We were doing a podcast about, uh, in utero, the never the Nirvana album in Euro. And here's, mm-hmm. you know, Kurt Cobain was playing concerts in front of stadiums in Europe on heroin, <laughs> you know I mean? on heroin, you know, he was yeah. writing some of the greatest music of all time and performing on heroin. It is, it is, I guess, amazing the way that your body can adjust to those different yeah. things. So,
0: yeah. It just finds a new homeostasis, I suppose. But yeah. Um, okay. Well, I I, I will now go into the hepala, the Hepola interview. I will go into because I want to keep that, Spike. I think you're completely right that I should have more regulars and that is what the audience demands. But th- this whole thing needs to funnel back into the writing. And I am mm-hmm. terrified of becoming stale. I'm worried yeah. about these there are people, especially if the if they talk about culture issues um, where they just start hitting certain notes and they almost become algorithmic and they have a pre they have a preordained reaction to whatever's happening or based on, you know, wherever they're at. And I just think if I'm not reading, I'm not going to be growing and having new people on who've written books. That's one way that allows me. It allows me to grow and hopefully become a better writer. But I need to find a way to kind of incorporate them and mesh them into the regulars. And yeah, every time Waz is going to be on, it's going to be a fantastic podcast. I don't even, I'm not even in control of that
1: yet. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because that is, I've, I've listened, I've mentioned him, I've, I've listened to other podcasts aside from Rogan, but I, I do, I don't listen to Bill as much anymore because it's too much sports. Uh, so it's the thing that I am likening to what you're doing he does that now. Like he, yeah. he, I, I always, I count, oh, how, how long is it until Joe says narrative? And how long hmm. of it, how long is it until Joe complains that CNN demonized him for taking uh, horse paste? Um, hmm. You know, like, like what are the, oh, how long is he like, so he does get into the same things over and over and over again. And I think it is, first of all, I think it's probably a lot of podcasting without, much of a plan. But then the other thing is you're right. If you just, if you allow yourself to, you'll just talk about the same things over and over and over again. And I think, I think you should have people on and interview them um, because you are curious and you're open to it. I think you just, you know, have to have maybe a, maybe think about them. Do you ever listen to them? Do you ever listen to the interview pods? Sometimes I sometimes Mm. listen to them because I am curious
0: about how they went because I don't remember a lot of them. And mm-hmm. does this ever happen to you where your listeners will bring up something you said and you'll have zero memory of ever having said it? And it's the thing that connected with them that they enjoyed most in an episode. And you it's just it's like the blackout drinking. Just I don't I don't know. And so that's maybe more curious to revisit because I go. Oh, okay. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that I said that. I didn't even know that it was like this. I don't do it all the time because there are other podcasts I like listening to.
1: I'm curious if you do it. I mean, do you, do you listen to your podcasts? I don't never. I hate listening to them. Uh, it's a bad habit (laughs) to not (laughs) listen to them. There are moments that I'll listen to there. Sometimes there are things that I'll, I'll say to myself, that was really funny or, Or what did what did they say there or something like that. But I now and now that I have a producer, I don't even have to listen to it at all. He does it. So I don't. And the other thing is I feel like mostly, even though it's a a business at this point, I just podcast because I'm having fun doing it. Yeah. I'm not thinking about get making it. I like growing it and I, I like doing things that are that I think are better, but I'm not that concerned about myself as a personality. I should probably listen to them more. You know, one thing that happens when you listen to them is, and I think I've mentioned this, maybe I've mentioned this to you too, is I used to have this horrible problem that I didn't know that I had when I started doing sports talk radio. So I went into music, from music radio to sports talk radio, and the most jarring thing, it sounds incredibly obvious, but the most jarring thing is when you are done talking on music radio and you're only talking for a minute, maybe you talk for three minutes once, that's a long time. Sometimes you're talking for 20 seconds, but as soon as you're done saying what, whatever you have to say, it's cool. You just hit the song or you yeah. hit the, the commercials. You, you don't need to fill time. The horrifying thing about sports radio is if you stop talking, there's no more radio. You can't stop, right? <laughs> so I had this problem because I was fearful of dead air. So I would um all the time. Um, um, um. I didn't know I was doing oh, it. Oh. And it's the superpower of that dead air. It it truly is. But it was so hard to get rid of yeah. it. My program director, Jeff Sotolano, who is now the is he senior president of programming for Odyssey, whatever it is fucking giant title is now. He, he told me about it. And at the time I was podcasting and doing radio shows and I heard it and it was terrifying because it was every other word. It's just uh, because I was so scared of the dead air and I had to concentrate to get rid of it. And you find that people have pauses when they talk. When you're in regular life, people pause, they think about things, they say, Give me a minute. Let me think about it. And it's fine. And you can yes. do that when you're podcasting and on the radio. But if all of a sudden you're conscious of the 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 space and the air, sometimes you don't let it breathe. And I think sometimes you're you're you are. If you're just asking me to do this, you are sometimes mm. like uncomfortable with that sometimes, and don't oh, just yeah. let it be. And if you just let it be. I think it'll. I think it'll be fine. It's just like it's a crutch that you could probably get rid of too. It's another thing I heard.
0: It's so hard. And I
1: remember Pablo Torre. Um,
0: um, 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 um. Pablo Torre <laughs> became obsessed with a Stephen A. Smith clip.
1: Carmelo Anthony. It's bad.
0: There was something about it that was hypnotizing and Pablo became so obsessed with that little clip and he would play it again and again. And just because of the pause, because it was on ESPN radio, it pulled you in. There's a little bit of daredevil to that, of not being scared that everybody's going to run away. And it's taken me, it's a tough habit. It took me forever because there is also, there's an aspect of this that's true for just writing articles, where it's uncomfortable to ask people difficult questions and you wonder if they're going to get freaked out or if they're going to get mad at you. And so I think early on, I would just try to kind of fill that space. And if I felt them not responding immediately, I would jump in with my babbling. And I think I'm actually a lot better at it in a strict interview for an article setting Then on this podcast, it's almost the podcast returns me to where I was before where I'm worried about people pleasing um, Mm. versus when I'm doing an interview for an article. I now know I ask the question. I got to shut the fuck up and just kind of wait because that uncomfortable space is a space that they might start filling with answers because they might want to fill that void. And that took me
1: many years to learn, even though it should be obvious. I mean, that's a that's a a trick I try to tell people all the time about interviewing is that don't let them off the hook if they don't answer right away. Because sometimes if they have a second, they will feel the pressure. Not that you want to corner them or anything. That that's not what I'm but if they feel the pressure to fill the space, you're more likely to get the answer that you're looking for. And the other time the other thing is sometimes after they're done talking or giving you the answer that they that they want to give you, if you don't go in right away, if you just sort of let them hang a little bit, mm. they'll feel that pressure again and then they'll get to the answer that, that <laughs> maybe you wanted in the first place that they didn't want to give you. So just sort of, and your thing about the Stephen A thing and Pablo is so right. I actually felt myself... I was so proud of myself. We were doing a podcast last night and we were talking about Paul Reed, the backup center for the Sixers, who our fan base and our podcast has been obsessed with for a while. He's a free agent after the year. And we were talking about the, the potential of the Sixers letting him go. And the Andrew Unterberger, who was hosting with me, said something about Daryl, who's probably listening to this right now. And he, he probably was. So <laughs> it, it triggered something in my brain. And I just went, Daryl. I'm talking to you right now. It's just me and you. <laughs> and I had that pause, and it was such. Once, once I was in that pocket, I could feel myself, and I knew. I know he's gonna have his fucking earbuds on somewhere listening to it. But I could feel it, and I could feel the theater of it of those pauses. Oh. It felt so good. It felt like such a great bit when I was doing it. Well, it, it
0: probably felt so good because. I've heard people are great at doing solo radio. We had Damon Bruce on, yeah. they envision themselves talking to one person. Yeah, and so that's what the you're trick. doing, right. It, it's such a weird trick what you're doing right there, because yeah, you're talking to Daryl, but you're really talking to the listener at the mm-hmm. same time in the exact way with the exact intentionality that you would want to do it. So that's, it's just a good, it's, it's fun when you find stuff like that. And Hey, for whatever reason, I I enjoy having great conversations with people, but I don't find myself feeling that way in the way that I do when I'm writing an article and I get excited about figuring out a way to really frame something or phrase something. What is it about podcasting that you like? It's a great... I think it's it's very transportational. Um, One of the reasons why I want to keep interviewing people who have... um, written books that I'm interested in it's I almost get to hop into a world that I don't I don't know too well I I don't I don't think that I prepared enough for the Sherman Alexie podcast um which is too bad because he was
1: great but is he the that guy that guy, played basketball with John Stockton he, indeed he is okay yes. there was another guy I didn't know who he was and I actually after like 15 minutes I was like I don't know who this fucking guy is and I gave up on that one but I don't know who he is so but anyway you're saying you didn't prepare enough for that one
0: uh, well, he's – I mean, he's a guy who is really big in literary circles, and mm-hmm. um, he was a big deal, and he was the type of person your NPR tote bag haver would definitely know about and and be psyched about. And during the purge on public radio or, or Me Too hit public radio, he got wrapped up in it. Now, those mm-hmm. things are a little bit – I'm not saying that I researched it completely, but it, it it seemed more relationshipy um as far as what ended up, you know, kind of purging him from those circles, but I actually did talk with him a little bit beforehand because I didn't I that, that's the other thing that's tricky as to how to handle it. And I've talked about this on the podcast. There are some people who are good at talking uh talking about being excommunicated, as often happens in our industry. It's kind of crazy how frequent this is as a dynamic. But they're good at talking about being ostracized. You're not supposed to say canceled. That's very D class A. At that point, you're a red stater. So I'm coming up with uh, euphemisms or synonyms and whatever. Um, but there are other people. Who really aren't, and they can shut down, and they become almost too self-aware, and they're relitigating the whole thing, and that's tricky. I was frank about it with uh, Katie Herzog when she was on, but she started mm-hmm. going to that place, and I I didn't even want to take her there, but she was great talking about it. But she's she's unusual. Most people don't want to go there. So in the case of him, I just kind of had a pre-show conversation about, well, you know, is that something that you would like to discuss? Somebody could say that's me being a coward and that's not real journalism, but I'm just looking to have a good podcast. I don't need to have – I don't need to be derailed.
1: Yeah, I say that about what we do on our podcast or what we do at WFAN, and somebody says, you know, we'll have somebody on. It usually happens with a guest that we're having on regularly, and they'll be like, you didn't press him really hard on this. And I'm like, well, that's not what I'm trying to do. I have to talk to this guy every week, and my goal isn't to make him feel like shit so he never comes back or – or my goal is to entertain you. We, we had Brett Brown, who was the, the coach of the Sixers during Great the process. Accent. Great, the best. Australian and New England somehow with mm-hmm. a, a little bit of Philly mixed in now. So mm-hmm. we had a good relationship with him. He got fired, didn't do any press, but then he got hired by the Spurs. And I asked him, I said, you should come on the pod. And he came on and he spent an hour with us. It was his first interview that he had done since he got fired. And we didn't ask him any Ben Simmons questions. And people were mad. How could you not ask him about Ben? And I said, well, I knew he wasn't going to answer. And I knew he might shut down the rest of the podcast. So I'm not out for blood. Like My job isn't yeah. to knock him out and make him feel like shit just so I could say that I asked him it. There's a big difference between being a reporter at a press conference at a White House press briefing and having somebody on your podcast.
0: you really are really good. You're, you're really good at that stuff, too. You're very good... At asking when when you and I guess it's because you do make that determination beforehand of I can go here I can't go here this is potential shutdown but I think you're really good at asking questions the fans want asked in a way that doesn't feel like an attack which is why the Maury episodes uh are so good in addition to just his willingness to be in that arena but it, I give him a lot of credit art.
1: for that, by the way. A lot of credit. Like w- we are not easy on him. We are nice to him. We are kind to him. We are respectful of him. But we're not easy on him in any way. And he still does it. I just want to give him credit. You know, <laughs> I don't know another basket sports GM that comes on a fan podcast three times a year. So, um, uh, thank you. That's a, a nice compliment. I think the reason that they are good with it usually is because I'm not attacking them. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is because I have a, I think people can tell when you're genuinely curious about something that is interesting that they usually know is coming, right? They usually have some idea they're going to have to ask me about this. When we had, you know, we had Tobias on or uh, whoever we have on, I think they know. And I think they can tell whether you're trying to corner them and get a specific answer or whether you're trying to get their answer because you're curious. And I think people can really tell intent. People are not dumb, you know, especially this medium, audio, and they can see you, they can hear you. It's just you and them. You're not in front of anybody else. And if you're being disingenuous, I think they they can tell. So I think a I think most of the time the reason it goes over okay is because I'm not attacking them or trying to get a specific answer. I'm just trying to find out, you know?
0: Well, I don't want to digress from myself, narcissist sorry. that I am, but sorry. No, I I this makes me want to ask you about the Eric Nem, Giannis Antetokounmpo, mm. I don't even know what do we even call that? You can't call it a con- I wouldn't call it a controversy. Um but Eric Nem, uh the Bucks, the Bucks beat writer who after the Bucks were eliminated, he asked Giannis Antetokounmpo if the season was a failure and it's become its own media cycle. Do you have any thoughts on that one?
1: <laughs> In fact, I do. <laughs> Yes, I bet you do. I was thinking about this on my drive home, a commute, by the way, from New Jersey, from New York City to New Jersey that will kill me eventually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Waiting to get into the Holland Tunnel will kill me. I will die doing it at some point. (laughs) But I was thinking about it because it was the thing today. And originally, when I heard him say it, I thought to myself, oh. Oh. Perfect sports radio topic. Like a perfect thing to argue about. Was yeah. it a failure? Or was it not a failure? But instead, it became today's thing, today's like giant media virtue signal is to go out there and talk about how brave what he did was and how right what he did was. <laughs> and and I'm just looking at all these fucking people, right? No offense to any of them. <laughs> but no Adam Schefter is great at his job. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Like the <laughs> fuck are you talking? First of all, Giannis described learning from failure. He said it wasn't a failure and then went on to describe exactly what failure is. Yeah. He did fail. It's okay. The right thing.
0: I'm gonna do something you probably would give a thumbs up to. What did Adam Shafter say?
1: What do you mean? Oh, what do you, oh he what? just tweeted about how great what Giannis said was. There we go. There yeah. we go. Oh, I'm sorry. You're expect, right. Good question. I, I, Good question. Well, uh, then Kevin <laughs> and Gandhi from ESPN tweeted that he was going to show that response to his children. Andrew what? Brandt, <laughs> Andrew Brandt, I believe, tweeted that he oh, was going to show it to his grandchildren. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> The the people who are tweeting this make their living, and I don't have any problem with this, parsing the successes and failures of professional athletes. We are not out here. First of all, your job is not, absolutely, to say that because Giannis lost in the first round, his career is a failure or his life is a failure or he's a failure as a person. But it was a completely reasonable question, a 100% reasonable question. And I think on some level, the reason that Giannis answered it, I think he was thoughtful in his answer is because he knew the reporter and he wanted to give him a reasonable answer. But I do not think that what Giannis said should be celebrated. It's such a low bar to celebrate something like that. Like it, maybe they got bored. Maybe people got bored of celebrating not having a verified check. And they're like, okay, (laughs) that's over. We (laughs) realized that one didn't matter. So what is the next thing? It's Giannis's thing. And it's a shame because it stole the good part of the debate. Which,
0: sorry to interrupt, but which which, which happened on Inside the NBA in the immediate aftermath. It was sports talk radio. It was- Shaq said, well, I think it's a failure and he's wrong. And Chuck said, Shaq's wrong. Uh, I agree with Giannis because, hey, I didn't win a championship, but was every season of my career a failure? Was every were, were all these games? I did a lot of winning. He did a lot of winning this year. It was boom, bada bing, bada boom. They were having the debate in the exact sports talk radio way you would want because it's an interesting question as to – When are the people who are the best at what they do, who are most likely in any given year not going to win the thing they want to win, how do we assess such people? When they fail, do we say the season was a failure? That's a great question. And you saw it play out and in the exact intuitive way it should play out in the immediate reaction. And I wonder, Spike, if part of what you saw was a bunch of people taking it to idiotic directions because we had already seen what we had needed to see and – Shaq and Chuck had done it because this is just more of the the problem that afflicts sports media, certainly in the Twitter era, where it it's almost like they're trying to build the drug with no downside. They're trying to to build something that gives us joy and gives us suspense. But if you lose, it's not a big deal either. That's fine too. And it it just doesn't it doesn't work that way.
1: No. And you're right. That was the debate. And the, and instead what they, what, what happened was, was it became so virtuous to say what he did was correct. Then by saying you disagreed with him, it, it was like, it was framing your disagreement. It was framing. I don't know. It was a failure as a, as like, wholly bad. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? As that, yeah. You're a bad person if, if you disagree with that. And these topics, when I say sports radio topics, these are the ones that people like arguing about. You know, people yeah. like arguing Jordan or LeBron. People like arguing who is the fifth best player of all time. Is it this player? or Is it that player? People like those things. Regular people. It's fun. That's what regular people argue about. And I think you're right. The But I, I don't agree, I guess, that the reason they did that- is because somebody already did it. We could have a good debate about the same thing for two days, and I didn't see that. And I'm in this yeah. every day. No,
0: I am totally throwing shit at the wall when I say that. I don't actually. No, yeah, yeah I, that I, I don't. But I, I'm
1: only merely saying that we
0: can't improve upon perfection. That's the main thing I'm I'm, I'm saying. That Shaq yep. and Chuck did it right. And guess what? The weird thing, too, Spike, is that the new consensus forms. And it's wrong. The Milwaukee Bucks season
1: yeah. is a failure. <laughs> it it's an mean, enormous honest, failure. It's failure. It's such a failure, though. <laughs> it's a, it's an enormous failure. It's a huge failure. They were the one seed. They have a guy who some people voted to be the MVP of the league. So to quote J.J. Redick, they had the best player on the best team. They were playing an eight seed who just got into the playoffs after, you know, they lost their first playing game, missing their second best player. And they lost in five games. They didn't even, they they didn't win any game that Giannis was in, right? They lost all the games that Giannis was in. So it was an enormous failure, which is fine. He's still a great player. (laughs) They still, you know what I mean? They still had a good, they're still going to come back next year, but this year, was a failure. It doesn't mean that he has to like hang his head in shame or never play again. It just yeah. means that it was a failure. Of course, yeah,
0: yeah. We're, we're not talking about is Bunnels are going to remain the coach because the season was a success. <laughs> right. That's that's uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what are we doing here? Well, I God, we know. can't we can't have a conversation without having at least one JJ Redick pivot. Um nah. are you reaching the point I'm reaching where you wonder if you where maybe you enjoy it at this point where you like being healed are, are you getting there with Redick
1: So the point that I reached was obviously on our podcast I've ripped him for a long time and I continue to and last time I was on I talked about it But then then a couple of things came out First there was a story about him getting kicked out of a a youth basketball game in New Jersey And everybody sent it to me. And I was like, hmm, I'm not going to talk about this. I was like, this seems like a work, like this is a wrestling term. It seems like it's fake. And then he did this thing for, he has a new like DraftKings show or whatever, where he just does, it looks like he just does like a monologue and he was doing a monologue about the MVP. And I was like, I feel like you're trying to get me to respond to this. Mm. And then- there was the most recent debate with Stephen A and Mad Dog where they're talking about Kawhi's injury. And I just thought to myself, is Stephen A really going to sit there and listen to this fucking asshole if they're not all in on the joke? Mm. And I thought to myself, is it possible that JJ Redick does know what he's doing? And, it's that I don't enjoy it. I do not enjoy it. No, but I have gotten bored of like ripping it. It because when I see people doing that to yeah, you know, I've mentioned to you. I I think Colin Cowherd is great, and when I see people taking his wrong opinions and putting them on Twitter with the video and saying ha ha ha, look at this guy, and I imagine Colin somewhere thinking like ha 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 you fucking idiot. Like yeah. I don't care. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's great. Thank you for, for publicizing me. I, I worry that JJ has done that to me and mm-hmm. I have been part of his success. I, given what we know,
0: do we think he has the emotional wherewithal to represent himself in a way that people would dislike yeah. and be that's fine with That's the question. It? I don't think so, and yet maybe Stephen A. is the genius because we should explain to the audience that doesn't consume sports talk television what's going on here. Um, Remember the Players started that publication because they didn't like negative coverage, and they called it the Players' Tribune. I I don't even know if it exists anymore, but remember the Players' Tribune. J.J. is the Players' Tribune when he's out there. He's Mm -hmm. the guy to wag his finger at the fans and scold them for, say – I don't know what his opinion is on the whole Giannis to-do, but he would be the one uh, scolding anybody who would think that this was a failure or say anything mean about an athlete coming up short. And they've got to understand that, and you've got to know. And he broke the cardinal rule, Spike, on that segment you were talking about, the cardinal rule you give to the former athletes who do radio – Which is that you can't get emotional and say, well, I played and you didn't. It it, it breaks everything. And he did that. He opened up that Pandora's box with Stephen A. and uh, Mad Dog, who for some reason had both palms on the desk with his arms (laughs) splayed out with an absolutely maniacal look that was just (laughs) lovely. And I... Never knew how much I'd enjoy him as a visual presence as much as the auditory one. But it's just that that's the it, it is so unlikable to what you're saying that you do wonder, is this intentional? And it's not just it's not just what what comes to mind when he's up there.
1: The thing that you brought up is the most salient argument against what I said is, is he capable of wanting to be the bad guy? Is that something that he wants to do? And I, I, I would tend to agree with you that it seems unlikely that he that he would. And yeah, I I always say that you shouldn't say that if you're an athlete because my retort, if I was Stephen A, would be okay. Well, I'm a debate show host and you're not. So. Yeah. You know, I know how to do this and you don't. So maybe I didn't play, but you don't know how to do this either. So and then we're done, you know, then yeah. then JJ shouldn't be on the show and Stephen A shouldn't be talking about sports if we both agree that the other person isn't, you know, capable or qualified to do what they do. And by the way, every time Stephen A criticizes him, it's interesting to note because he did it once where he said something to the effect of You're worrying too much about the question and not the discussion that we're having. You should listen Mm. to the discussion we're having. And after that Kawhi thing, Stephen A sort of laid into him a little bit. But every time he does it, he says something to the effect of, I think you're very good at, at what you do. You're becoming a star but let me tell you something. So he almost, Mm. he doesn't cut JJ Reddick's legs out from under him because he knows he's got to host a show with JJ Reddick. So he doesn't, he doesn't obliterate him and say, you don't know what you're doing. You know, get out of here. You're not a pro. He, he raises him up and then he shows it to him. I would love to know the reality of what's going on in there because it seems (laughs) crazy to me.
0: Well, I think the Stephen A, like the T-Rex in Jurassic park doesn't want to be fed. Mm -hmm. He wants to hunt. And Perhaps JJ Reddick is presenting something to him that's a bit of a challenge, a bit of a bomb to dismantle. This guy who comes in and tries to get all meta about the conversation they're even having is not the conversation they should be having. And I think a lot of people, maybe if they were less comfortable and they just wanted to do a good show, would go, Hey, this guy's he he he's fucking everything up. You know, we yeah. can't we can't have this. See, the suspension of disbelief is getting obliterated here. But I think Stephen A. might go, okay, like, how can I use this? How can I use one of my favorite Stephen A. tactics, which is to tell you that I'm going to let you finish and tease whatever the response is going to be. And the audience now wants to know, am I going to come down hard on this guy? Am I going to tear him <laughs> apart? Um, I think he he likes the challenge. I say that as somebody – you probably have more of a line to Stephen A. than I do. Uh, Philly sportsman uh, that you are. But that that is my best guess. Watching from afar.
1: Yeah, I think so too. He was doing this thing too. There's two, uh, <laughs> two Stephen A things. One, as Reddick is going on that rant about, you know, how you guys have never been injured before in your life, Stephen A just kept going, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. And at the end, he goes, All right, is that it? Are you done? Is that it? <laughs> it was so great because you knew it was coming. And then, uh, the other, oh, just the other day I was in the lunchroom at work and the the TV was on first take and I, the, the volume wasn't on, but it was on. And they're talking about Aaron Rodgers. And I just saw his a, just so animated, like yeah. obviously screaming and yelling at whoever and then the Knicks and doing the same thing. And everyone just sort of like almost all, in yeah. awe of the performance he was putting on. And, <laughs> and one thing he does have that, that you're you're talking about there, or one thing that that you're suggesting he's doing is something that Angelo Cataldi, who was the morning show host I worked with in Philly, and actually Craig Carton, who I work with at WFAN are good, is whatever you put in the room with them, rather than it being an impediment to them doing their thing, they're going to look mm. at it and go, oh... What can I do with that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. How can, like, if they were a skateboarder, they would they would look at the, a bunch of books on the floor and a, a cardboard box and say, how do I make a ramp out of it? And that's sort of what those guys do. They look at everything in the room, They're like a skateboarder who can make a ramp out of anything, you know?
0: Yeah, and the directors who yell, use it, use it yeah. to the actor. Maybe that's yep. the mentality that I need to have um, and should apply more often. I'm wondering... Why don't you listen to sports sports uh, talk podcasts? If you are taking in the exquisite theater that is ESPN televised sports talk, why is it not in your ears?
1: Well, I I guess I have so much to listen to for work that is sports talk from fan yeah. to CBS Sports Radio to all of our stations because I have a role within Odyssey where I'm um, sort of like the format. Guy or whatever, so I listen to all of that. I do listen to our podcasts that we put out at Fan or whatever, just to hear from a critical perspective. So when I'm going to what I enjoy for my life, you know, when I'm walking my dog, I just want to hear something else. I guess for yeah. me that it's just become different. So so the things I listen to for me now are are uh, are not really sports anymore because sports listening to me while I am a fan of the art of it, of what they're doing is not like recreational to me anymore. You know, I was actually thinking about, can I keep talking? Cause I was thinking about something. Or, no, okay. no, no, no. I'm okay. not refusing to listen to you. No, no, I, no. I, no. The thing I want well, to
0: talk about next and I don't want to hear a moment of what you're actually passionate about right now. No,
1: no, 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 no. Cause I was, I was thinking, cause now I've got to start thinking about the, like what I do listen to. And yes. I was thinking about, one of my, my favorite podcast is Red Scare with uh a great with Anna and Dasha. And I, I love that podcast. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why do I love it? Like, not just because of the content about it, but w- like, what about it? am I a fan of? Or why am I a fan? And I, I just think about my life. and I've always loved being a fan of things and when i was younger i was a fan of bands i would love bands right i would whether it was guns and roses or nirvana or whoever the band was i would love the band and i would i would get every record i would see them when they come in concert i would read every article or whatever and then when i worked in music radio it became sports that i was a fan of and i would i would really like you know, I, that was how the Sixers stuff started. It was just like, I re-fell in love with basketball and, and really loved sports, but then I started working in sports. It became my job. And I think the, the great thing about that podcast and the podcast I enjoy now is that I can be like a fan of something again. And I feel mm-hmm. like I'm part of a, if you liked a band that, especially if they're not super popular, which I I feel like the podcasts I like are Popular, but they're popular within a community. So you feel like you're part of something, I guess, Mm. which, uh, so, and I'm thinking about like versus music. It feels ridiculous, though I love music and I listen to music all the time. It does feel ridiculous to be a diehard fan of a music artist when you're 46, you know, yeah. like I like bands, but an obsessive fan the way that I was. But the cool thing about being a fan of a podcaster or a podcaster is you don't really need to obsess because you're getting content all the time. They're like giving you something new. I get to listen to them talk. I get to, mm. I get to hear more of it. I'm getting like a constant, you know, um, uh, and I, I think that's what I like about it. And I think that is probably the only thing I don't like about working in sports is that, and it was the same thing when I worked in music, is that because it becomes my commerce, being a fan of it doesn't feel natural because it doesn't feel like it's my own and it doesn't feel like it's a choice. The, the podcast I listen to feel like my choice now. You're giving me a lot to think about with the Red Scare
0: commentary because it, it can be ineffable. Why does this work? is such mm-hmm. a hard question. I've said with teams it's so much easier to do the autopsy on why something failed than mm-hmm. to explain why life exists. It's I I don't know. They've got they've got something and often the obvious answer to why is something compelling or popular is that it's good. And we sometimes forget that when we're diagnosing it and trying to figure out, well, this appeals to that demo, um, and this is how they do this or that. Uh, They're just – they're really smart, and they're really funny, but they also just appear to break the rules. They're just kind of flying around without any sort of net, and they'll – You know, they'll talk in a way that doesn't seem all that ideological and they'll sound like uh, right wing uh, frog Twitter accounts and use similar lingo, but not necessarily seem like they're of that world. Um, And then they'll insult people of that world and do that quite comfortably and not really seem to particularly care. And they'll use language that you won't hear. You won't even hear that on Barstool. Uh, They'll just they just seem to break. They, they are the exception that proves that rules exist. I That's the best way I can even put it off the top of my head, but they are unique. I mean, the thing you can say about them is that there's nobody like them. They are highly
1: differentiated. Yeah, they talk, – talking about the rules, like I remember I was listening – I remember when I started listening to it, and I – I was like, I don't understand why anybody listens to this at all. But then I wanted to listen to another one. I started listening to old ones and they were doing one where they got voicemails that was talking about the bad audio quality. And they were like, honey, the bad audio quality is the aesthetic. Like yes. is the the vocal fry and the noise in the background is what we're doing. That's the bit. Yeah. And I think the thing with a show like that is people immediately assume, immediately assume You like that because you feel exactly the way that they feel. The point is, is that nobody feels exactly the way that they feel. They don't even know how they feel. That changes every day, which makes it more honest because they're more like regular people who do not have a doctrine of beliefs that lines up with any specific person. And the minute that you think, like, you know, Dasha used to be this, bernie person and the minute you think she's this bernie person she likes tucker carlson and she's catholic and she's all about being catholic and she's the most catholic person you ever met (laughs) and and she goes through phases and they go through phases just like any other person does and i think to myself like i like zach lowe right a lot of people like zach lowe does everyone who listens to zach lowe like agree with everything that Zach Lowe says about basketball? Like, of course not. I disagree with tons of things he says about basketball. It's that I don't listen to things to hear my, th- I know what I think. I don't listen to things to ha- to hear what I think back at me. And I think they are they are unique in that way in that whatever they're doing does not match up with fucking anything. It doesn't match up with anything. There is no, no one wants to claim them. You know, no, no Republican politician is going, they they certainly say it with Republican, you know, uh, podcasts or radio hosts, or, you know, they have no problem with saying that they align with those, but nobody's claiming them. Yeah. No, you you don't. nobody claims them. It's just, and that their, their, their only duty is to themselves and their audience. And that is, I think, admirable and part of why it works.
0: I'm trying to picture Ben Shapiro being on Red Scare and it just doesn't really, no. it doesn't really work It's something that would something that would happen. But yeah, they are anti-Mimetic. They just they just do their own thing, which is something I can certainly appreciate. And what's so tiresome, and I don't know if it's a if it's particular to our age and the technology at scale, but how soon people want to immediately put you in a particular bucket and just have a just total profile of everything you're about and everything you think and you know try to exact pressure to funnel you in that direction is is maddening to me. I don't under I I just don't understand why. And it's frustrating too. the way people will do it with things they don't know. I guess that's the way they sort it. I guess we're inundated with information. And maybe that's a coping mechanism that people go like, well, this is a this, this is a that. And, you know, these are you, man.
1: I mean, people, people do, oh, do it really? with you. I had no and, idea. Yeah. Well, no, it's the same thing. It's like every, and, that, and I, I think I said last time I was on the pod and when I tweeted it out, I was, or maybe when I tweeted it out or maybe I said it to you, I was like, ooh, can't wait to get canceled. That was on Ethan's pod. Like, and you're, there's nothing in, there's nothing to that. There's nothing. I don't even, <laughs> Most people don't know how you feel about anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Aside from the specific things you write about, you have yeah. a perspective. but there's not that. People are dying to do that. And that's what's perfect about um some of the it, it it is what it is what was perfect about Rogan. I think it is what is probably really good about Lex Friedman is that there's there does not seem to be a way to assign them to a, a 2023 political ideology that people think exists because I think most people feel like, I think most people feel like there isn't one of those, like one of those two, when you see the lines, you see the the groups, you say, well, I don't, I don't feel like any of those people. You know, and yeah. I should be able, I should be able to take some from over here and some from over there and some from over here and some from over there and be a complete person. And, uh, and they are, they're, they're doing that with that. And to your point, they're funny and they're, they're yeah. smart. They read a lot more than I do. The thought I've had sometimes
0: when that happens and other media people think I'm bad and they, you know, frame it however they want to frame it. Everybody's doing the thing. It's almost like with draft prospects where they relate you to some other draft prospect that they didn't Mm -hmm. like, who you don't have a lot in common with, but they're trying to do that. And I'll often have the thought that in some ways they're right about me and certain beliefs I hold would totally scandalize them. And I'm Mm -hmm. far worse than they think, but in other ways they're totally wrong about me and I'm not whatever they assume that I care about, which is true for many people. That's true for a lot of people, like a lot of people have private beliefs that would be something that would be a problem for them if they said it out loud and worked for a major company. But then they have other beliefs that are fairly uh, benign or approved of or whatever. And there's something, again, just so frustrating about this time where people feel like they have to be so narrow with their public expression.
1: Yeah, it's, it is crazy to have, you're right in that somebody, some people are right about things that you say or, or things that they think that you think. And part of it is when you do what you do, or I at least partially do what I do. I've been talking on the internet for two and a half to three hours a week for 10 years with the Ricky another two years with Carl Andrew record club, another three or four years on WIP, another 10 years on YSP. It's a lot of time, a lot of talking. And occasionally somebody will send me an email suspecting something about who, who I am. (laughs) And I'll be like, ah, you're pretty perceptive. Or I'll remember somebody, we do this thing where we ban people from the podcast if we don't like them. And we have one person who is secret banned And we've never hinted at it. And I have one podcast listener who emailed in and he was like, here's who it is and here's why. And I was like, motherfucker. He picked up on little clues just with mm. what I said. So they do know a lot about you, but I think the way that the world is now is they assume, or sometimes people assume, if they know one thing about you, they know everything about you. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's the difference, you know? I could feel this one way about this, but it doesn't mean I feel this way about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, there's the overassumption, and there's the other problem, which is that some people are scandalized by normal opinions, yeah a lot of yes. people in media are like that where they're scandalized and they consider those who hold opinions that are in alignment with seventy percent of the populace are bad, and that's that's the other thing where it's like yep, you got me i I believe what it's a fairly normal intuitive thing to think, and
1: I guess you're not I guess you're not allowed to think that uh for whatever reason to bring it back to sports for a second. People do that with like the take take skip Bayless for a second. Skip yeah. Bayless, everybody thinks to themselves, oh my God, he so obviously has this bad opinion, blah, 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 And every single one of his opinions, half the people agree with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Every single one of them, half of them are like, yeah, LeBron is bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's not a winner. The, the, the People think yeah. like that. That's how people, that's the normal way to think is it's. It's not like people. The people who disagree with him make pretend like ninety five percent of the people in the world disagree with him, but it's fifty percent of the people that disagree with him. Yeah.
0: Well, especially living in the Bay Area, I never run into anybody who goes, "I love LeBron James. I love him. (laughs) I'm just. I think he's incredible. I just want to hear about. I. I didn't think we. I thought we were about to close out, Spike. But this whole thing, I've noticed. There's a tell in the way ESPN and even to a certain extent Fox Sports talks at you, not to you, but at you about LeBron James. Yeah. And there's a certain word that gets used a lot, and that's appreciate. I knew you, were you better say appreciate. It. You better yeah. appreciate. You know, he's not gonna be around here forever. You better appreciate. It seems like a tell because I don't people aren't telling me to appreciate Steph Curry. They just assume that I enjoy watching the little guy shoot the ball from far away, and they're not not—they're not forcing me to eat my vegetables. Have you picked up on this? Do you think I'm onto something here?
1: You are. Now, this would lead to a separate debate that you and I have had about a different basketball player.
0: Oh, you better appreciate Draymond Green.
1: <laughs> we'll keep it on this one. Okay. On this one, I just say when people say that, we all think he's like, at worst, the second best basketball player of all time. Yeah. How fucking much more could I appreciate him? You're telling me that unless every time I see him play, I (laughs) mention to somebody that it's amazing and that the only person I think is better is Michael Jordan, that I'm not properly... What do you want me to do when you're saying we should appreciate him more? He's the most written about and talked about and probably praised athlete in the history of man. In the history (laughs) of man, nobody has been more praised than fucking LeBron James. We appreciate LeBron too much. We appreciate him so much, it makes me want to appreciate him less. The forced (laughs) appreciation makes me not like him. If he would just go the fuck away for a year or two and everybody would stop talking about him, I would actually appreciate him more, right? I, like, it's impossible yeah. to not appreciate him. I I enjoyed him on an aesthetic level forever. Sure.
0: I, I, but the problem is, is that he has this gaping maw that requires more praise and validation, which is understandable, because he was a child star, and God knows what that's like. Mm-hmm. And he has enough tentacles into some of these sports media apparatuses and seems to, I don't know. I don't know if he pushes it or they push it. I don't want to get conspiratorial, but it does sometimes not seem entirely organic. And it almost seems like somehow, some way, we are almost getting the coverage that he would want, demanding that we give him more of the praise that will never satiate him, which then annoys us because we kind of know that it's not going to be the end of him
1: wanting wanting more praise from us. And e- Ethan, I, did you know it's year yeah. 20 for LeBron? Had you heard that what? lately? Yeah, No way. No yeah, did way. you hear he had 20 points and 20 rebounds in his 20th year? That's amazing to me. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing is it is amazing. That's the crazy thing.
0: It's amazing and I don't care <laughs> as much because of the exact dynamic you put there. Now, it's complicated if I if it's Lakers versus Warriors in the playoffs that's very wow. exciting to me that's going to be that's a cool series and it's cool in part because he's still been doing great things um up to year 20 but the the forced appreciation what feels like a bit of a propaganda campaign um it does mess with that that weird enjoyment factor that that lore that you might otherwise have they, uh, like Peter Griffin saying about the Godfather, it
1: insists upon itself. And that's, that's the issue. I've never seen the Godfather, but what I ask you this, I don't really like mob stuff.
0: It's that's too fair. fake. Kind but, of a great take. Kind of a great take.
1: The, do you think the insistence on LeBron is a... It's just sort of like this, this is what we do, like the inertia of it all, that this is is just this is what we do. We talk about LeBron, blah, 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 blah. It just seems like it's old hat. This is what we do. Or do you think there are more nefarious mm. forces at play where there is sort of like this league and agency pressure? But even the league, I don't know, they must see diminished returns with LeBron coverage, right? Like there must be yeah. Something else. I why? I guess the question for from me to you is why do you think it is?
0: I remember having Michelle Beadle on, and she talked about when LeBron tried to get her fired for being overly critical. Mm -hmm. I think we've got some unique dynamics at play. I think the response, the reaction to the decision, was too much. It was hyperbolically angry at a scale that was perhaps unprecedented. It wasn't just fun, sports hate. It went into this other territory. I think he found that whole process traumatizing. I would not even, I wouldn't mock him, you know, the whole, hey, Mm -hmm. sticks and stones. If you were a young man, and yes, he blundered his way into it, obviously. But I think going through that would be a searing experience. And so I think his response has been to try to be incredibly intentional And to be a bit of a lobbyist on his behalf in a way that is unusual and that you don't ordinarily see from players combined with actually having the most power within Nike uh, that an active player has and the most brands aligned with him. And so I don't know if it's a bunch of people in a room and they direct it and it's all figured out. Or if it's just a little bit more vague. People have these questions about how the media all agrees upon whatever the angle. And it seems a little bit decentralized and yet organized. So I don't know the answer to that. I know a lot of fans feel like it's all so obvious. I don't think it's all so obvious, but it does create a product that, as you're saying, and we might have talked about a little bit last time, we always have to end on JJ and LeBron. That's just how <laughs> each podcast we do. Those it has to end that way. Um but they are serving something to us that it seems like we didn't ask for and doing yeah. it a lot. And the fact that it happens at Fox Sports is the strangest thing to me. I Look, I, I enjoy having Nick Wright on. I like having that debate about LeBron versus Mike. Uh, but it is strange to me that there aren't more LeBron haters. Skip Bayless is, he's like Willie Mays in the Mets outfield of LeBron hating right now. It doesn't have <laughs> the same, it just seems like their market and efficiency going against ESPN is that they should have more people castigating LeBron, and yet there's more of the the appreciation parade.
1: Well, I think at this point, the problem with, with attacking LeBron is that most of the things that—he's almost unassailable as a player because yeah. there's this thing where if you attack him as a player, he's had such a good career, and he's 38— you know, like whatever he does is gravy. It's it, it's yes. amazing, even if it's even if it's not the best, it's still great. So the only thing to attack him on is the most obvious thing, which is that he's annoying and a, yeah. kind of a, <laughs> a weird lies about weird things and yeah. is overly concerned with his image. But even when you're doing that, I think most people agree. He seems like a fine enough guy. He doesn't seem like He's, a bad person. Yeah. So so I don't even know how to attack him if you're on one of these channels, other than to say, Oh my God, can we stop talking about LeBron? You know, mm. in which case you're you're breaking the third wall and that's not what you should do anyway. So it's almost like this topic that can't even go anywhere. You can't even really debate yeah. it. You just hope he loses so you don't have to talk about it anymore.
0: So well put, man. I, I just picture myself on the desk at Fox Sports and Nick Wright just made another argument of why LeBron is historically sui generis. And I just go, yeah, but he's cringe. <laughs> he's cringe, Nick. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, hey, can't debate that. Take a look good at his Instagram.
1: Yeah. Like <laughs> the, I almost the, Nick Wright is so good at arguing his obviously wrong opinion on that. I have so, so much respect for it because he, he does it in a very tactical way. I just, I can't believe that he really believes it because the only people that I believe think that LeBron is better than Michael Jordan are the people that weren't alive for Michael Jordan or people who are lying. Those are the only like two people who are doing it, but Nick Wright was around for Michael Jordan. So is he lying or does he really, or does he just like the sport? of arguing that lebron is the best he's so good he's so good at sports talk and the way he
0: kind of walked me into his argument it was was so well done because he does the thing where he forces you to agree with him and now you're in a dance you're in a dance of agreeing with nick because like who had the best you know the better beginning of the career you know who had the better end of the career and and of course i immediately go well the middle is all anybody cares about also i as some of my subscribers noted it is debatable that LeBron had a better beginning of the career than Michael Jordan who hit the biggest yeah. college basketball shot of all time but you know it's neither here nor there I'm just standing in aberration of the Nick tactic of kind of walking you into agreement so now you're mirroring him you know now you're mirroring him and he's walking you to his premise and it's just very well done but the issue is I think with the argument that he's making and some other people do make about how, hey, this is just a lot of nostalgia that people have for Michael Jordan. And it's, well, you ever think that maybe people have a lot of nostalgia for the thing that was the best thing ever? That tends to create quite a bit of nostalgia. It seems like such a fallacy to assume that just because people have an affection for something that happened in the past that makes it not valid it's a little bit says that about the
1: beatles nobody's (laughs) like you're just saying the beatles are good because you because of nostalgia we all agree the beatles were fucking awesome even if you don't like them maybe what has to happen is maybe my generation like maybe the boomers need to die and then the gen xers need to die and then (laughs) there won't be there won't be this obvious generational divide. Like it won't just be people who have nostalgia, because oh, it'll be pre-nostalgia.
0: I don't think the generational divide even exists, Spike. I mean, Broussard, mm-hmm. I don't know where he got the survey data, but he brought it up in his argument with Nick on this exact topic that young people say, no, it's Michael Jordan. Everybody says it's like the huh. only place you'll find or Kobe. <laughs> the only place you'll find the LeBron, the LeBron take is on television. Um people kind of know that the the guy who went six for six, um, you know, to say nothing. We don't need to go down there. I wrote this whole thing on Phil Jackson that overlapped with some of these themes. I I mean, I would encourage people to read it, but this is probably going to be paywalled because Elon Musk is throttling my tweets, which is why I finally caved and paid for Twitter blue, which is a whole other topic we could have discussed
1: all <laughs> yeah, the thing. way up. Well, Um, let me tell you this, Ethan. My guess is if they are 90 minutes into a podcast with you and some fucking Sixers (laughs) podcaster, chances are they've read your Phil Jackson post. (laughs) Hey, we'll get feedback on that
0: one. Uh, Ladies and gents, I want to hear... What did you think about the advice Spike gave? What advice would you add to it all? And did you indeed read the Phil Jack? I mean, it was 3,000 words or so. It's not a guarantee, Spike. Some people are more into the
1: auditory. Is that a word? I I do like that you do the audio versions of those. I do like that. Thank you. Yeah. And having, we actually had that idea five or six years ago at WIP, and I read one of my columns, and it was so hard and took so long. I was like, fuck it. We don't really have the bandwidth for this it's it's harder than people i know it sounds crazy but it takes a long time and it's fucking hard to do it yeah no
0: i'm fortunate in that i was forced to do it for my book so that Mm. at least gave me the knowledge that it could be done and then you just get a little bit you get a little bit better at it but no it's um yeah I, i appreciate that that you said that and it's it's a subscriber retention mechanism. I don't get like a whole lot of new subscribers for those, but I get people where that's what they come back for, and it's always interesting to me which people respond, especially people in the industry where I go, oh, I didn't know that you were a an audio article kind of guy, and it's yeah. um it's always uh, it's always interesting to learn. Uh, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you so much for doing this. What
1: things do you want to plug on the way out? nothing. That's okay. I appreciate you. We've talked about what I do, you know, listen to all of it or don't. I can't imagine anybody in this is going to be curious about the Sixers if they're not already. So, I appreciate you doing it. I just appreciate coming on. (laughs) It's so humble. No, it's not humble. We've mentioned it a hundred times. Again, they're an hour and a half in. They'll find me, you know. Okay, okay. It's the opposite of humble, apparently. Well, this is the
0: other thing I didn't even ask you about for your advice is how the hell do I outro these? And you know what? Maybe... (laughs) You say it's all about authenticity. My awkward outros are going to remain. I can't stick Damn. the landing. That's the podcast. See you next time. Boom. <laughs>